How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to the fake-ass milestone episode 325 of X Lapsed. And uh, boy, it, it's taken me several, several, way too many tries to get that line out because uh, I don't know. There's a there's something wrong with my uh, the 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 usual amount of marbles that are in my mouth uh, it, it have like multiplied today, and it's just uh, it ain't pleasant, and it's not easy to do this. So I'm sure. The editing process at the other end is going to absolutely suck, but, um, well, let's get into it. <laughs> Today we're going to go a little bit off the beaten path here. We're talking about an issue of Black Panther, which, you know, upon reading it, and uh, there are multiple stories in this, we're only going to cover the one that's uh, X-relevant, but uh, upon reading it here, I feel like Marvel didn't realize that this was going to be a fake-ass milestone in and of itself. Um, this is a Legacy number 200 book here. I, I can't remember. I may be mistaken. I probably am, but this is an issue we were supposed to get, like, in last October. Uh, it didn't come out until this January. So it was pushed back, and uh, this is the third issue of the volume. I don't even think the first issue of the volume actually hit by the time we were expecting this one to, to be on the shelves. I'm wondering if, when they originally solicited it, they didn't realize that they were going to integrate the voodoo math and make this a 200th issue. Because this does not read like a milestone issue at all. This is uh, very much just chapter 3 in a longer story that will eventually be collected in a trade collection where it'll never be viewed as something that tried to stand on its own in the first place. Now we'll get into it here in just a moment, because we do have a lot to talk about. Uh, unfortunately, not much of it has to do with the actual book we're uh, focusing on today. Um, but this episode will be serving as a sort of kind of season finale for Original Recipe X Lapsed. You see, we're not done with the current year stuff uh, because, well, frankly, there is no end to the current year stuff at this point. Uh, we're not getting breaks the way we used to. Uh, with things like uh, Marvel Unlimited giving us new stuff to talk about each and every week, all the ex-adjacent stuff, all the Marvel voices sort of stuff, um, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. <laughs> there's uh, really no end in sight to the current year stuff. And, you know, as I'm going through my pile here and uh, going through my little uh, spreadsheet onto, onto which books we need to cover when, I came to realize that well, if I want to do things like the Essential X-Lapsed, we're going to have to force the issue because otherwise we're just never going to get to it. Because by the time I'm done with my current pile plus all the Unlimited stuff, next month's DCBS shipment should be here. And that's a whole other, you know, 12 to 13 books plus all the Unlimited stuff that comes in the interim. We're just never going to get back to the Essentials unless we 
like I said, forced the issue. So I did put a question out there on various social media platforms uh, over this past weekend to ask what people thought. You know, I know that uh, my listenership is, is very, very small, but I know that some of the folks who listen prefer going back to the Silver Age, going back to the uh, original 66 era. So I put the question out there, like, should we maybe force a break here? It's not going to be a long break. I figure this episode that you're listening to right now is up on a Monday, even if we can get Tuesday through Friday of this coming week as being Essentials episodes, I feel like that might be enough to just sort of, well, give me a change of pace, give you a change of pace, and uh, actually work on moving forward to eventually getting to books like Giant Size and Into the Claremont Run, uh, which at this rate will happen probably like 2026, 2027? Conservatively speaking, of course. So as this will be serving as a sort of kind of breaking point, we will be covering the sales charts uh, for uh, November 2021, which, boy, when we get to them, (laughs) we're going to have a little bit to talk about because they are very, very strange. This is, uh, well, we'll get there when we get there, but it's strange. Um, We'll also uh, dip into the mailbag here, start to uh, clear some uh, some of our messages out as well as have that segment where I complain about there being way too many variant covers when we do This Week in X. But first, well, we got to do the book, right? And so, without further ado, let's get into it. This is Black Panther, Volume Friggin' 8, Number 3, March 2022, Cover Date, Legacy Number 200. The story's called The Long Shadow, Book 3, written by John Ridley, with art by Juan Cabal with Ibrahim Mustafa, Colors, Matt Miller. Letters, VCs, Josebino. Designs, Jay Bowen. The Wakandan Flag by Brian Stelfries. Okay. Um, edits, Linvet smith moss Sobolski Cover price, $6. This one went on sale January 26th of 2022. And, um, you know, the thing about this issue that made me the most excited about it was the cover. It's a uh, an Alex Ross cover. We got... Uh, we got T'Challa there, we got Storm, we have a few X-Men on the periphery. And naturally, um, DCBS decided to send me a variant cover. I mean, I think it's a Gary Frank variant, so it's not a bad-looking cover, but I didn't want this one. And I didn't order this one. But uh, that doesn't seem to matter anymore when you order things from DCBS. Uh, it's basically like, hey, uh, we ran out. You, mi- you might have ordered this three months ago, but screw you anyway, you're getting a variant. And I don't care if you have the last 700 issues of Action Comics all pristine in your collection. Here's an ugly-ass pinup of Superman grimacing on the cover. And you're getting that one because, well, screw you anyway, I suppose. But um, I digress. Uh, <laughs> let's get into the issue. Uh, we open with our single-page spread of Ketchup and Cred. Now, I have not been following Black Panther since... Christopher Priest wrote it, like, 150 years ago. I don't have any interest in the character. I don't have any interest in Wakandan politics, unless Christopher Priest is writing it. So I have a whole lot of catching up to do, um, especially as it pertains to uh, Black Panther's here and now. I don't know what he's up to, but uh, all the same, let's see if we can't catch ourselves up on this text page. Now, T'Challa is back on Earth. I never realized he left in the first place, but I suppose that's uh, pertinent to the story. Because while he was away, there was a movement in Wakanda to move away from the throne and toward a parliamentary democracy. Now, T'Challa played cool with all this. However, he has a group of sleeper agents that he'd be using. And those sleepers are suddenly being targeted by a mysterious group of assassins. 
and in one of these raids or attacks, his best friend Jai was killed. Now T'Challa is trying to protect his other sleepers with the help of Imolola, who's Jai's widow or former lover or whoever she is. While this is going on on the front lines, we got Shuri trying to deduce who these assassins are, and that brings us to, well, Nowish. Now, our story opens with T'Challa and Omolola being confronted and attacked by some of these assassins. And so we spend about a good half-dozen pages watching the Wakandans defend themselves before getting the upper hand and ultimately killing the baddies. They hop into, like, a jump ship sort of gimmick here and then head to Mars. Our scene shifts over to Wakanda, where Shuri is being chatted up by Achille, who really wants to know the whereabouts of T'Challa. Now, you see, they are working toward a democracy here, but things are still a bit shaky, and Achilles suggests that T'Challa's presence could probably go a long way to ironing out a lot of the current wrinkles and challenges. Now, Shuri is a bit squirrely and won't say much more than, you know, T'Challa is away. He's not here right now. Uh, they part company, after which Shuri calls into T'Challa on the jump ship, and, uh, well, he tells her that he's headed to Mars, and he also tells her that he'd killed all the assassins in the beginning of the book, uh, to which she is quite annoyed, because she wanted at least one of them to be kept alive for further interrogation or study. But, I mean, you know, once that toothpaste is out of the tube, <laughs> it ain't getting back in there, so dead is dead. Anyway, Shuri tells him about Achilles' concerns. And also that, due to all the disharmony going on, uh, factions have been forming in Wakanda. To which T'Challa's all, hey, they want a, de- a democracy, they, they can choke on it. Well, no, he actually doesn't say that exactly, but... He says that this is, you know, something of a growing pain that Wakanda's going to have to handle, and he's confident that they'll be able to. Uh, Shuri suggests that T'Challa actually wants this democracy attempt to fail, and he doesn't confirm nor deny. Now, once Shuri's FaceTime ends, T'Challa and Omolola have an uncomfortable chat about losing loved ones. And I'm not sure if they're trying to hook these two up, and honestly, I'm not going to keep up with the series anyway, so it doesn't matter all that much to me which way they go with this. Then, they arrive at Mars Arako, and Omolola is shocked to see the terraform Mars, which... I mean, wasn't this, like, a pretty pretty huge deal? Like, does she not watch the news? Does she not have social media? I mean, she's a current-year Marvel character, of course she has social media, so this really shouldn't be that much of a shock. But I do suppose her ignorance does facilitate T'Challa explaining to non-X-Men readers that Mars is now Arako, and it's also the capital of the solar system, and there is an editorial footnote pointing us over to Planet Size X-Men number one. Now, our Wakandans are almost immediately welcomed by Storm and Gentle, uh, also Rogue and Gambit, which, I mean, I can't outright say that this doesn't work, thanks to Krakoan Gateway technology, but it's kind of odd to see Mr. and Mrs. X here. It's, uh, it seems like they should be in different places, but I guess they are shorthand to a lot of folks as just X-Men, so fair enough. It is worth noting here that in one single panel, Rogue gets more dialogue than she's gotten in the entirety of X-Men Volume 6 to this point. Our focus is shifted to Gentle, who is uh, very enraged upon seeing T'Challa. Now you see, the story we're going with here is that Gentle was forsaken by Wakanda, or something along those lines. I really don't know. I don't know if this is something they're retconning. I don't know if this is something that actually happened on panel. All we need to know is that it apparently happened. Uh, T'Challa tells him that he was never unwelcome in Wakanda, and it was Gentle's own choice to leave. Or something. 
I, I mean, I really don't care. Uh, Gentle lashes out and punches Black Panther into next week. He then leaps on top of him, starts wailing away, and then picks T'Challa up by his throat. Storm manages to get in there to settle Gentle's tea kettle, and uh, Gentle apologizes and unhands Black Panther. Storm takes T'Challa by the hand to give him a proper Araconian welcome. And the next thing we know, they're catching up on a cliffside. Aurora asks about Omalola, to which T'Challa says she's just a friend who suffered similar losses as he. Aurora then says something about there being no more secrets between them, while also suggesting that they're back together, romantically. Did, did I miss something? Uh, I mean, as far as I know, and again, I may have missed something, the last time these two crossed paths was when Storm stole that Wakandan sword for X of Tens that I don't know that she ever actually used, but it broke somehow, right? It did something weird. I don't know. Anyway, they kiss for a little bit, then Storm leaves to do some Regent stuff. And she actually refers to it as, quote, Regent stuff, which... I don't know about you guys, but that sounds horribly out of character for her, at least to me. Now, once she's gone, Gentle returns, and we're led to believe that he's here to apologize for, you know, punching uh, Black Panther earlier in the issue. However, he's really just seeing how good a job he did. Now, you see, he's one of T'Challa's sleepers, and he was just playing the role that he hated him in order to throw off the scent. Now, T'Challa says that he did a great job, he made it look real, but he's going to be shutting down the sleeper program altogether. And this bums Gentle out. T'Challa informs him that uh, Jai was murdered, so things are kind of nebulous at the moment. And Gentle asks if they can hug, and they do. And that's it. That's the end of our story. There are a couple of uh, other stories in this issue that we won't be covering because they're they're not relevant to our, uh, our X-Labs purview, but yeah, that's it. That's it. Um... I can't say for sure what the next episode of this show will be because, uh, well, I haven't gotten the shipment yet and I don't know what the coming soon page looks like for uh, next month's books, but uh, we'll worry about that later. Um, for now, let's try coming up with something to say about this issue. Um, like I said at the start, uh, this feels like it's just, you know, another chapter. and That's not a problem, right? That's not a fault or anything like that. It's just a, it is what it is sort of a situation. It just uh, really doesn't inspire all that much in the way of uh, my fake-ass analysis. As an X-Men story, we we don't get a whole heck of a lot. Um, From the cover, and I mean, (laughs) trying to judge a book by its cover in in current year. uh, Boy, uh, I've gotten more and more naive in my old age. Um, Seeing the cover, you'd you'd think that there was going to be a much heavier (laughs) emphasis on uh, the X-Men, or at the very least, Storm. But no, she is there, of course, but, you know, it's just, it really isn't an X-Men story. This is more just another part of Black Panther's story, and it should be. It should be, because it is Black Panther's book. Now, as I mentioned at the start of the show, uh, this one was originally going to be hitting us in October of last year. And I wish I could remember uh, if it was, at the time, if it was... um, being solicited as an anniversary issue because I don't think that it was. And you'd have no way of knowing this, but this sentence actually happened about 45 minutes after the last sentence because I was just digging through all of the piles of uh, rotting paper in my office to see if I could find the original Marvel previews in which this was solicited to either confirm or deny that, and, uh, well, I couldn't find it. (laughs) I couldn't find it. It's uh, probably... It's buried somewhere very, very deep. But, um, well, let's assume that I'm wrong. 
and that this always was supposed to be Legacy number 200. Marvel knew it from the start. It feels, I don't know, unspecial. It doesn't feel like a milestone issue, or rather a milestone story. Now, this sort of thing could have floated back in like the early to mid-2000s when we all collectively decided that we were way too cool to celebrate milestones anymore because, ew, that's 90s. Because by then we were all so much smarter and so much more enlightened than those silly, uh, gimmicky 90s fans were. So, like, we'd get something like Uncanny X-Men number 400 where it's like, oh, it's a milestone? Eh, no big deal. Let's, uh, you know, have a story. We'll have the, the Vanisher selling drugs written by the fellow who's already checked out on this book, and we'll have art by Ashley Wood, so good luck trying to follow it. Now, that's in no way comparing that to this issue, because after all, Marvel did remember to charge us like three extra dollars for it. But anyway, not a whole heck of a lot more to say about this one. It's really on the fringes of X-relevance. I do appreciate uh, them bringing some of the X-Men elements into the wider Marvel universe. Uh, As much as I like there being a bit of separation between the disparate Marvel franchises, uh, a little less cross-pollination than we had in the past ten years or so, I also do very much like the fact that the the lore, uh, whether or not we agree with the current year X-Men lore, it is the lore, and I'm I'm glad that it is... uh, you know, it has a presence in other books, and it's at least being acknowledged in the uh, the wider Marvel framework. Now, speaking of the wider Marvel framework here, uh, I'm going to have to defer to uh, to you guys. Um, is there a story where Storm and T'Challa got back together that I, that I don't know about? Um, if so, let me know, and we can discuss it. Maybe we'll tack it on to uh, our upcoming X-Men Red discussions. And also, if anyone listening is sticking with Black Panther as a, as a monthly read, please, you know, keep me in the loop as to whether or not Storm is making appearances there so we can... I'll run out and grab those books, and we can, like I said, we'll tack those discussions onto the uh, end of our X-Men Red uh, episodes here. Unless, of course, it's a really big deal, in which case we will dedicate an entire episode to it. So just let me know, and I will, uh, I will do what I do. Anyway, with uh, my fake-ass analysis out of the way, let's hop into the mailbag here. We're going to start with a letter from our friend Evan talking about Inferno number 4. And he says, It's true this didn't close the Hickman chapter out in a super satisfying manner, nor did it leave a massive cliffhanger or have us wondering what the heck was next, like Hoxpox did, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. Unmutanting Mora removed the get-out-of-jail-free card. I agree this probably wasn't exactly what Hickman had in mind, but if his original plan would have meant the Krakoa era ending now or soon after, I'm glad we didn't get that. I'm so glad you said that, because it's so strange. The few folks that I've spoken to about Inferno all have a very similar takeaway. And uh, it's basically what Evan just said here. It wasn't the most satisfying ending. It didn't answer all the questions that we thought it was going to answer, but we enjoyed reading it. You know, um, it wasn't what we expected, but it was good. You know, it was good. Like I said during our discussions, like I was on the edge of my seat. You know, it was a real page turner and I couldn't wait to get through it because it felt like something was happening. It felt like a big deal. And regardless of whether or not the, the issue or the story stuck the landing, it didn't really matter because we had a good time getting through it. You know, it was like that journey instead of the destination sort of a thing because... Well, the destination, you know, uh, the uh, the GPS changed the destination several times during uh, Hickman's route, unfortunately. And like I say, I don't usually go around soliciting um, reviews or trying to get uh, other people's thoughts on the issues outside of the X-lapsed, you know, listenership and family. 
but I did go to the site of a reviewer and ex-analyst that I respect very, very much, uh, and that's uh, Paul O'Brien of the X-Axis and now uh, House to Astonish. If you haven't read Paul O'Brien's stuff, I know I've brought him up a time or two on the show. He's uh, he's fantastic. He's a, a giant among us, uh, you know, fake-ass comics historians and X-Men historians especially. And I very much respect his opinion. And he had a very, very similar takeaway. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't ideal. It wasn't the ending we were expecting. It really didn't give us much closure, but we enjoyed reading it. And with editorial the way it is and having so many masters to serve, sometimes that's all we really can ask for, isn't it? Evan continues, Execution is all over the place, from Hellions to Wolverine and Hell, but there's so much potential with this status quo that I would like to see it continue. It could be a be-careful-what-you-wish-for situation if it goes the way of the clone saga, but I hope it does not. Now, it's also funny that you say this, because I've been in some conversations of late about uh, the direction, and uh, whether or not it actually is a direction. You know, one of the things that we come to expect as comics fans is, uh, you know, the return of the status quo. You know, um, when Morrison did his thing, you know, the status quo eventually came back. I think when Hickman started his thing, a lot of us expected the status quo to come back when he left the books here. But one of the dialogues I was a part of uh, suggested that there is no status quo to go back to, and as far as the X-Men are concerned, that this is the status quo. And it's more predicated on, let me chew back some vomit here, uh, introducing them to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hold on, hold on. Okay, I swallowed it. Okay, um, yeah, I'm not looking forward to that, uh, but uh, that could be what the purpose of this, uh, or what the purpose of this Krakoan era is being kind of figured into. Because as far as I know, there aren't any mutants in the dumb movies, but um, this is a way to introduce them. Perhaps they'll have this island of Krakoa. They've always been there. Nobody knew about them, but here they are. I don't know. So maybe this is our status quo, so maybe there aren't any concerns about it going all clone saga because, well, there's no normal to get back to. This will be the normal because, of course, the movies inform everything, even though the people who go see the movies don't read the damn comics. But I could complain about that for hours, and I'm sure I have over the course of my time on the air, but uh, let's move on. Evan continues, As for my thoughts on some of your thoughts... I don't think the cure was Mora's only goal. If this was her last life, she may have been trying simultaneous strategies. Or she may have hoped Krakoa would work, but had more confidence in the cure. Now, this was one of the bigger things I feel like was uh, yanked out from under Hickman in his, uh, in his work here. Because I... You know, when you, when you read a story, when we read any sort of story, there almost has to be people that we root for. And... If we go back to the beginning of Hoxpox here, there really isn't anyone that we want to root for. I mean, people do bad things to people all the time in these books to where, like, one bad thing that someone does to another is, like, immediately reciprocated with something worse. So we no longer have any sympathy for, like, any of these characters. The only character that we were kind of—I don't even know if we were on her side since we've seen her so seldom, but— Mora, as far as we knew, had, you know, mutant, uh, I was going to say supremacy, but it's more survival at the forefront of her goals. That was her top priority, is ensuring that the mutants don't get wiped out. Now, this uh, dramatic shift to 
not only was she not for mutant survival, but she was going to be the the implementation of wiping mutants out going forward. It just kind of felt out of nowhere. And I had my theory that the cure was always going to be part of it, but it was going to be more her trying to cure herself, just herself. And so, you know, ultimately setting this timeline in as the timeline going forward. Like... Krakoa, Arako, all this stuff was part of Mora's plan. And once all the pieces were in place where she knew or had a good indication that there wouldn't be the machine uprising or the machine uprising could be thwarted, there would be no human uprising against the mutants, everything could just go and either mutants would survive or thrive going forward. Once she was sure of that and certain of that, she would cure herself so that she could die. And not come back and not alter anything Not reset timelines At least as far as she would know Because the way they ultimately went with it Not only do they make her into this like Ridiculously inept villain Whose Achilles heel Was Destiny Who, I mean for all the time That she was in the no place All the time that Krakoa was being built up There's no reason why Destiny was kept in the Cerebro backups You know, that should have been like Priority one this is the one person who can stop me from doing what I need to do. Take her out. You know, this is this is vital. This is important. And I, I don't understand why Mystique is so important to the Quiet Council. I So much of this doesn't make sense when we look back at it. And like we discussed, if your goal is wiping out future generations of mutants, then why are you making the current generation immortal? And also encouraging them to have babies that are also having powers. And why would you bring, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Omega-level mutants in from Morocco? It just doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense, at least not to me, at least not with what we've been given. Uh, now, Evan continues, I like the payoff with Cypher as it made him seem important and effective using his brain and his abilities rather than making him an awesome combatant. His communication with the island, his kindness and friendship to it and Warlock, his whatever-the-heck-it-is romance with Bay, are what won the day. And in issue number three, we got to see him rightly skeptical of Professor X without turning against him. Maybe he, not Emma, is the conscience of Krakoa, the nation, and that's probably a good thing. Now, Cypher, I have a weird, weird relationship with in current years because um, I feel like, and I hate using, I hate using like Mary Sue or Marty Stew, whatever the hell we're calling it, but um, he feels to me like the author insert a lot of times here. Not so much in... Not so much in being like uh, an exact one-to-one of whoever's writing him, but in being like the one who's always overlooked, but is always ultimately the smartest person in the room. I don't know, I'm I'm probably projecting. (laughs) I'm very, very likely projecting, but I don't know. Cypher endings don't always land for me, though I will say that... uh, in light of the story that was being told here, Cypher was the best option for, uh, for you know, the comeuppance of Mystique and Destiny. But thank you so much for writing in on that one, Evan. It's always a blast hearing from you, and it's always cool to be able to talk a little bit more about Inferno. Uh, next up, we got Jeremiah talking about Devil's Reign X-Men number one. He says, first off, I have to say I enjoyed your response to my email regarding Inferno. And after listening to the first couple of Lives and Deaths of Wolverine, my thoughts about the events and Mora are slightly revised. I picked up the first couple of issues and will follow along with the podcast on those two books to see where they go. The main reason I'm writing is because of the Devil's Reign X-Men story. I am buying the event book, but not the tie-ins. The past few years, I have avoided event books and tie-ins completely because they just seem to never deliver. 
This book, Devil's Reign, is an exception for me because it's picking up right where the latest volume of Daredevil wrapped, and I believe it leads right into the next volume. And I think you're right. I think these could have very well been, you know, Daredevil issues 37 through 40, whatever. I don't know how... This is a five-issue mini? I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, from what I've heard, this is very much um, a continuation of... Uh, of the very highly acclaimed Zarsky Daredevil run. And I don't know if he's going to be back for the next volume. Um, I, I only know what I know from DCBS. And last month they had uh, they had Jason Aaron writing everything on their website. So I, I really don't know <laughs> if Zarsky will be back. Uh, Jeremiah continues. The entire Mayor Fisk storyline, while it may have started as an allegory for the Trump era presidency, it never really quite became that. Sure, I rolled my eyes when it started, but it, I ended up really enjoying it. The Muse and the Order of the Dragon slash Hand slash Beast storylines were really enjoyable. Seeing all the different ways that Daredevil tries to take down the Kingpin and then dealing with the consequences of his own actions were good fun. And now, like I've said, I haven't really read much of the Zarsky Daredevil, so I really can't speak to it. Uh, the only Mayor Fisk stuff that I've seen is uh, in this issue written by Jerry Duggan, who is... Um, well, of late, not not really known for his subtlety. So um, <laughs> I think the uh, the allegory is a little bit uh, in bold and underlined in the Duggan work. Uh, Jeremiah continues. The Devil's Reign story, while yes, it is a superheroes or outlawed story again, it's more than that. The Kingpin has finally decided that he's going to have up his political career and still have his criminal one. There's no more messing around. The fly in the ointment, though, is that pesky daredevil. He goes through his dossiers, and Daredevil, the Daredevil one, is blank. He doesn't know who Daredevil is, but he knows that he did at one time. This is a carryover, and it has run through the entire Zarsky run, from the end of Charles Soule's series, where the Purple Man's kids did Matt Murdock a favor and made the world forget that he was Daredevil. And uh, the Charles Soule run is um, ultimately what broke my completionist streak <laughs> of Daredevil. I remember that was a run that me and Reggie talked about a lot because uh, both of us were big Daredevil fans. Um, I think we received the the uh, Mark Wade run a little differently. Um, I think we both appreciated it. Uh, he liked it a lot more than I did. The Wade run for me felt like it kind of overstayed its welcome. I, I feel like it went on a little bit too long and got a little bit too... It insisted upon the silliness a little much, where as a novelty... You know, where Daredevil was no longer like this dark, brooding character for a minute. I think there was a novelty to that, but I, I think it, it definitely overstayed its welcome. But by the time we got to Secret Wars and into the Soul Run, it kind of fell apart for, for both of us, and we both reluctantly uh, walked away from Daredevil. Uh, Jeremiah continues, So the Kingpin is fed up, there's more to it than just Daredevil, and he's out to find who Daredevil is and move forward in his political career. All in all, it's a decent continuation of the Daredevil Mayor Fist storyline wrapped up in a money grab of an event book. As for the X-Men tie-in, I'm probably going to be glad I did not buy it. I'll listen to your coverage and enjoy it that way. Well, thank you so much, Jeremiah, and I, I definitely appreciate uh, being able to supplement um, your reading of Devil's Reign, and I hope to eventually start reading it myself once I get a free minute or two. I gotta say... Um, when I saw that this was going to be a you know heroes or outlawed thing again, the wind was definitely definitely pulled out of my sails. Um, of course, I'll concede ignorance. I have not been following it, um, but I just didn't I didn't want another heroes or outlawed story. Especially, I mean, isn't Kamala's Law still a thing? 
Marvel has uh, <laughs> it's it's like stupefying how few stories they're actually willing to tell nowadays. We've got heroes are outlawed. We have heroes fighting heroes, and we have alien invasions. There used to be more to comics than that. I don't know why there isn't anymore. It's I just don't know what's going on, and I I, I could complain about that, and I'm sure I have <laughs> more than I ought to, but uh, I'll just uh, move along. But uh, thank you so much, Jeremiah. Uh, next up, we got Billy D talking about the death of Doctor Strange, X Men Black Knight number one. He says, "Hey Chris, so when did Black Knight have a kid?" Is Faza the mom? This is all really confusing. That MI13 book by Paul Cornell was really good. I think you might like it. But obviously you'd be going in cold, so I'd suggest researching or reading the backlog of whatever led up to it. I can't remember what that was. Anyways, congrats on episode 325. That's an awesome milestone. Well, thank you so much, Billy. And uh, yeah, I don't know when he had a kid. I, I think this all... I think this was all kind of ironed out during that uh, Curse of the Ebony Blade miniseries by Spurrier last year, 2020-21, I think. I think that was the first time we heard that he had an estranged daughter and that we actually met his uh, his daughter. I don't think that Faza is the mom. I, I think they... I, I did a little bit of research as I was reading through it, um, and I think they did name-drop the mother in, in either the issue or on the wiki page, but it wasn't Faza. Um... And I have heard plenty of good things about the MI-13 book. It's weird, though. Uh, Paul Cornell is a writer who always kind of left me cold. Um, not, not that he's a bad writer, it's just that I've never been interested in anything he's writing. So anytime I would try reading something he's written, I came away from it very, very bored. So I think in my head, I just, like, uh, free associate Cornell with boring. And that's not fair, of course, but... Uh, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to give it a shot somewhere down the line. But thank you so much for writing in. Uh, next up, we got Peter talking about Life of Wolverine, and he says, uh, outside of characters who are problematic for real world reasons like bigotry or misogyny, Romulus might be my least favorite comic character. He's boring. His existence diminishes a character I like and makes that character and his history less interesting. He looks dumb. His abilities and origin are uninspired. And he's the, he's the introduction of the idea that Logan, Creed, Feral, Thornin, etc. were descended from a race of cave wolves or something. Instead of things like Magneto not being your real father, how about we spend some of that retcon energy on Draco being Nightcrawler's dad, Norman Osborn sleeping with Gwen Stacy, and Romulus being involved in Wolverine's history. And here, here, <laughs> I'm with you there. Uh, I mentioned that Romulus is kind of a blind spot for me. Uh, a lot of that came out of the Daniel Way era of Wolverine, which I did not enjoy. I thought that was very, very, well, as Peter said, uninspired. It was not fun. <laughs> it was, uh, it felt like we were really, and it's going to sound so weird to say we were, like, exploiting Wolverine fans, but uh, because, I mean, Wolverine, uh, you know, he's always been, you know, everywhere at once. But back in the mid-2000s, when he was, like, suddenly getting all these ongoings Plus his one-shots, plus his miniseries, plus his appearances in the X-Books, plus his appearances in Avengers. It was just a little... It was a lot too much. And I really, I really, really hate the idea that there's been someone behind the scenes for all these years pulling every string and putting Wolverine in every situation he was in because, I mean, it just makes everything so much less fun. You know, Wolverine, when I came into comics, and I mean, this is broken record time, but... Wolverine was that guy we didn't know much about, which was like a huge part of the draw. 
you know, we wanted to know more about him. And the fact that we didn't know anything about him gave writers so much freedom in as far as what they could tell us about him. So you could have Wolverine cross paths with Cable for the very first time and have them know each other. It was just a story we were never told. You know, I like that we were able to do that because it made us ask so many questions. We didn't know what year Wolverine was born. Was he in his 30s? Was he in in his 300s? We didn't know. And we wanted to know. And, you know, it's all very reminiscent of that Stan Lee quote, you know, never give the fans what they think they want because once you give it to them, it's over. And, of course, I know that there were circumstances outside of Marvel's control about doing the origin, and that's all well and good. You know, they gave us an origin, it was a period piece, but there were plenty of years in the interim that anything could have happened and anything did happen. But then Romulus, and everything was just manicured into um, this experience. And it just, it really didn't do the character any favors. Because we can no longer tell those stories in the past anymore without the specter of Romulus looming over our heads. It's like, oh, well, you know, here's a really cool new wrinkle in Wolverine's history. And our minds immediately go to, but but what about Romulus? Because he's part of everything. I don't know, maybe I'm not making sense, but uh, I'm with Peter here. Let's let's deep six Romulus. Uh, The Draco being Nightcrawler's dad, eh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I definitely... Would like to have the image of uh, Norman Osborn's O-Face wiped from my memory I don't know that that'll ever happen, but uh Yeah, that was a skeevy, skeevy story Now that will do it for our mailbag I want to thank everybody for writing in And uh, we will be continuing the mailbag when we get back But uh, let's go into our sales charts Since this is the sort of kind of season finale And we're going to be looking at the sales for November of 2021 And these are going to be weird Because uh we got some weird diamond BS here. Um, I don't know if we're going to be getting Penguin Random House numbers, which sucks, which really, really sucks, but um, probably helps Marvel's narrative as to what's selling and what's not. Um, what we have here are the books that are coming out through Diamond. And from our uh, Comicron page here, it says to get a more accurate picture of what Marvel sales look like, to multiply the Diamond numbers by three. So, like, our third highest-selling book of the month here is listed as Venom number 1. And the number we get here from Diamond is that it shipped 58,284 copies. So if we multiply that by 3, the actual approximate shipped number would be 174,852 copies. So we're going to go with the multiples of 3 here. It's going to be an approximation. I'll get that out up front, so just in case I, I forget to say approximately... To qualify our nebulous numbers, now you know. So, our top five of the month is very, very bizarre, because uh, there's no DC here. <laughs> there is a, Marvel is only at a third. So our top-selling or top-shipping book was, What's the Furthest Place from Here, number one? Huh? Can we stop with these cute titles? That might be, like, the greatest book ever written, but can we stop with these cute titles? I mean, you're definitely baiting Netflix. Just just do a damn Netflix show. Uh, the second highest shipping book was House of Slaughter number two, whatever that is. Three, of course, is Venom number one, shipped 174,000 X copies. Uh, Gunslinger Spawn number two was the fourth highest shipped book, and Vampirella number 25 was the fifth. Okay. Uh, into our X books here, and this is going to be a very short conversation because we don't have much to compare it to. We're not going to talk about... You know, we're not going to compare it, like, where they line up 
And as far as their like diamond ranking, we'll talk about that more next month because the numbers will be a little bit more one-to-one at that point. But we will talk about the approximate shipped figures here. Now, the 19th highest shipped book was X-Force Killshot Special, and that one shipped approximately 77,883 units. So that is the top shipped X-Book, which... It's kind of sad. Um, We are in a uh, down period. We're in kind of a lame duck period, so it is to be expected. Now, our top shipped, like, mainline X-Men book is X-Men number 5, which shipped 66,087 units, down 3,713 units from last month. And, of course, again, these are all approximate numbers, even more approximate than usual. Our 39th highest selling book was Wolverine number 18, which shipped... 51,687 units, down 4,113 units. Book 81 is X-Force 25, which shipped 33,759 units, down 3,441 units. Uh, 88 is X-Men Legends number 8, which shipped 32,091 units. Who cares if it's up or down? Marvel doesn't. Uh, Our 102nd highest shipped book is Excalibur number 25, which shipped 28,605 units, down 3,295. Book 119 is Sword number 10. This one shipped 25,425 units, approximately, and down 3,675 units. Finally, we have book 121, which is, sadly, Hellions number 17, which apparently shipped around 25,071 units, down 7,429 from issue 16. So yeah, we are in lame duck territory here. Uh, These books are kind of just petering out until the season premieres here. And you know, in, in this day and age, where... Like, the comics press and comics journalism is basically just the propaganda arm of any comics company. And, you know, 95% of comic book podcasts are basically just kissing Marvel and DC's ass to get free stuff. Why aren't they hyping every single book they put out? Like, why do we have lame duck periods? Why is Hellions number 17 shipping so few books? Why aren't we propping every single book up? I mean, in this current era, like, 80% of comics fans think they're journalists. So maybe promote these books. We shouldn't have lame duck periods. Run some ads. Don't be ashamed you're in comics. Maybe then folks will actually want these for the stories and not for the variant cover or the number one on the cover. And I mean, it's not like uh, it's going to cost you anything to have a blog or a podcast promote a book. I'd wager that many of them would do it, uh, would pay for the privilege of doing it. I I mean, personally, I've bought every single X-Men book that we've covered on this show, so I'm paying to talk about what Marvel's putting on the shelves, so what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Speaking of shelves, let's head to the final segment today, and it's This Week in X, so we're going to look at what's coming out on Unlimited as we speak, as well as what's going to be hitting the shelves this Wednesday. Now, Unlimited, we got a, a pretty pretty decent-sized week here. We've got Marauders number 26, New Mutants number 23, Phoenix Song Echo number 2, and X-Men Trial of Magneto number 4. So a lot of good reading there, a lot of good catch-up for folks, and hopefully a lot of good uh, emails coming in in the next couple of weeks on those books. Now, jumping ahead to Wednesday, what's appearing on the shelves? We have Sabretooth number 2 with two covers, Women of Marvel number 1 again with five covers, and then, huh... Oh, okay, we have the X-Lives and X-Deaths of Wolverine number 4 coming out, and between them, 13 friggin' covers. And I gotta admit, I am absolutely foaming at the mouth to get my hands on that Mark Bagley trading card variant. Could we stop? Please? 
Could we? Ugh. We also have X-Men Legends number 12. Two covers of that one. I think that is the finale of that volume, and that, that might be the, the Claremont uh, Excalibur issue. We also have some books on the shelves here. We've got New Mutants Omnibus Volume 2. It's 125 bucks. And then we have uh, the Onslaught Omnibus, which is now being promoted as X-Men and Avengers. Okay. Avengers, really? Okay. $125. And, oh, by the way, these $125 omnibuses also have variant covers. Finally, we have the X-Men Trilomagneto trade for 25 bucks. So for $4 more than you would have paid had you bought the individual issues. So just look at the savings raining down upon us. But uh, that is This Week in X, and that is the show. Now, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me for any reason at all, please, I encourage you to do so. You can find me several different ways. Of course, I'm on Twitter at Ace Comics, Instagram at 90sXmen, the email is weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, and the voicemail hotline is 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. You can join the conversation on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. Of course, the audio archives are available anywhere you hear noise or at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And there is the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash xlapsed. But I think that's going to do it for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for allowing me to blibba blabba into your ears today. And uh, till next time, as always, I'll be talking to you again real soon. See ya. Different drugs